Welcome to Door Creek. Welcome to our Fall Fest weekend. If you're a guest here today, my name's Mark, one of the pastors. Really glad that you're here. And these uh, compassion projects is really at, at the heart of who we're trying to be and become as we just reflect on our desire by God's grace to be a Christ-centered church for all people. Where the power of the gospel, God's love for us in Jesus Christ is continually transforming lives, renewing our city, and changing the world. So thanks for being part of this place. Thanks for joining. Maybe you're a guest here. That's really, really what we're on about here. So last week, if you weren't here, I gave a, an update on a note from Mark, if you don't get those, to just say again, thank you, thank you, thank you. So we had a huge challenge at the end of August, which is the end of our ministry year, and the response of God's people at Door Creek was just overwhelming, and just, just boatloads of generosity and lots of giving. Our second largest year of giving ever in the history of our church. So we haven't reconciled all the books, but it's so encouraging, and it really positions us just to celebrate God's good faithfulness to us last year, but also just to, to, to run with him this next year, reaching more people for Christ and helping those who know him to grow to be more like him. So thank you, thank you. So today in our series, it's the third message on who is Jesus from the Gospel of John. We're going to focus in on Jesus having the power of God, even power to raise a dead man, his friend Lazarus, to, to, to new life. So death is just one of those subjects that we're not usually used to talking about and is a little uncomfortable, uh, but we're going to hear a lot that can give us great hope as we think about and anticipate that reality that we'll all face. So to get us going, I want to reference an article that um, has two aging actresses, longtime friends, Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, kind of bantering about on the subject of death. In this magazine interview, Tomlin, who's 76 years old at the time, recalls a time in her youth when she's four years old, she's visiting her grandmother down in Kentucky, and she remembers it so clearly. There was a little girl who died, and it wasn't uncommon in those days for the visitation to be in somebody's home. And she remembers a little girl being in a dress and everybody coming in and ooing and eyeing. And she recounts and says, you know, death didn't make any sense to me back then. And it doesn't make any more sense now. Jane Fonda, who's 78 at the time, says, well, I, I feel the opposite. The past few years, I've made a real point, as she puts it, of cozying up to death and making it a friend. That's what I always do with things that frighten me. Death is inevitable. So why not make peace with it? I'm not scared of it at all. Then there's the singer-songwriter Sting. In a recent interview with Rolling Stone magazine, wrote that I've been thinking about death since I was a kid. He said it, it gives me kind of spiritual vertigo. He's obsessed with it, and it goes back to his childhood. To deal with it, he says, I regularly take a psychedelic drug. Seriously, here's what he says. I think it's a way of rehearsing the feeling of being dead. Every time I have to work up the courage to do it, you basically face your mortality, and it's as if you're dead, out of time. Most people die in a total panic, terror. I think there's another way we're supposed to die. There must be a way to die peacefully and welcoming. And as I stand here this morning, I, 
I'm just going through with my 92-year-old dad who is so close. And he said to me the other day, man, I just can't wait. I don't know what the Lord's waiting for, but it is going to be a good day, a good day. And I talked to him on Friday night, and he was lucid. He was asking about our daughter Claire. And then something happened. He had like a mini stroke or something, and he's slipping away. And what I know about my dad, and when I think about that quote from Sting is, my dad knows peace. And he would tell you it has everything to do with his relationship with Jesus, who is the prince, the giver and author of peace. And he's got like arms open wide welcoming this day where he moves from this life to the next. So grab your Bible. We're in John chapter 11. John is the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you're new to the Bible, the table of contents will probably get you quicker to that location, chapter 11, right before the book of Acts. The context of chapter 11, chapter 10. Jesus has just been teaching, and he reveals that he is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd who knows his sheep. He knows his people. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life, who will die for his sheep. And he says the one who lays down his life also has the authority to take up his life, speaking of his resurrection. He says the reason I have authority to do that is because I and the Father are one, chapter 10, verse 30. And when he said I and the Father are one, you could see the steam coming out of the religious leader's ears because that was blasphemy. He was claiming nothing less that I'm God, that God and I are equal. And so the text says they picked up, the religious leaders picked up stones to, to kill him, to stone him to death. He's claiming to be God. That's blasphemy. Blasphemy, according to the law of God, is punishable by death. It says he escapes from that situation. He goes to the other side of the Jordan where John the Baptist had been baptizing. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means the twin, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go also, that we may die with him. Kind of feels a little bit like Thomas had a Peter moment and started talking before he knew what he was saying. And he's 
Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Okay, so here's the movement of the passage. Verses 1 through 16 are going to talk and focus on Jesus' delay. You probably missed it because I didn't pause like I have. He hears about it, and it says he doesn't move. It's two days later after hearing that his good friend Lazarus is sick that he goes. And so we're going to focus on his delay that is all about the Father's greater glory. Then in verses 17 through 37, we're going to look at Jesus' comfort, how he comforts the bereaved, the sisters Martha and Mary of Lazarus, his good friends, who are grieving and, and wrestling with Lazarus' death. And why didn't Jesus show up? And then in verses 38 through 45, we see Jesus' power, his power to raise Lazarus from the dead. So here's where we're at. We're in the first part, his delay. And what we notice first and foremost is this isn't just somebody he doesn't know about. This is his close friend. He's, he's given a note, a message that says, the one you love, that one, Lazarus, really close to him. So, And, and he says it's all happening for God's glory, and it's not going to end in death. He's, he's clear of all that's going on from the very beginning. And because he loved them, and it says he loved Lazarus, and he loved Martha, and he loved Mary, we are surprised when the text tells us, we're always looking for surprises. We're reading the Bible, and you go, oh, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting, and this is his close friend, and he gets this message with a sense of urgency. He's really, really sick. We really need you to come now that he would have what? Dropped everything and booked it to Bethany. And so we're surprised in the delay why he stays two more days. Now, the disciples remind him when, after two days, he said, well, okay, let's go. They said, well, wait, not so fast. Don't you remember what just happened in Jerusalem? So just so you know, Bethany's just up the hill to the east, over the Mountain of Olives, two miles to the east from Jerusalem. And so to get to Jerusalem, to Bethany, you gotta, you got to walk through Jerusalem. They're going, you don't want to go back there. Lord, do you remember what just happened? They almost killed you there. They almost stoned you to death. And Jesus goes, well, I'm walking in the light. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of that. Let's go. He also knows that Lazarus is dead. There's, there's, there's nothing that says, and so a messenger came a day later and said, it's too late. He's dead. So how does he know? Well, he's the son of God. He comes with the territory. We just note that. He, he knows. He knows what's going on, what is going to happen, and we note that. And, he's, and, and not only does he know he's dead, we get a second surprise in verse 15. Look at verse 15 again. He says, Lazarus is dead at the end of 14, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there. I'm glad I didn't go there and heal him, so that you may believe. For your sakes, that you would believe that I am who I am. I'm glad. It's better. His disciples don't get it. Thomas doesn't get it. In some ways, he's speaking better than he knows. When he says that we may die with him, let's go, guys. I don't know if he's saying, all right, Jesus is probably going to die, and maybe we're supposed to die with him, and so, guys, let's just get ready to die. What, what we know here is this guy who's always known as who? Who's Thomas known as? Doubting Thomas. 
like the guy who wasn't in the upper room when Jesus shows up and slips through the wall and says, it's me, I'm back. Just feel it, it's, it's really me. I've been raised from the dead. That's why the tomb is empty. He wasn't there. And he says, I don't believe it. I don't care how many of you said you touched him and put your hand through the holes in his hands, your fingers through the holes in his hands, and put your hand in the hole in his side. I don't care how many of you If I don't do it myself, I won't believe it. So he's known as Doubting Thomas, Doubting Thomas. But here's this beautiful example of his loyalty. Okay, if we're going to die, then we're going to die, and I'm going with you. And so there's Thomas. So now we move in the second section to the outskirts of Bethany. If Bethany's up on the hill and he's not yet to Bethany, he's just below the hill on the road going up to Bethany. Word's gotten to Martha and Mary that he's coming. And so Martha meets him on that path. Verse 17. On his arrival, speaking of Bethany there, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask, whatever you pray for. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she'd said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went down. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So there's two interactions before he gets to the graveside, right, to the tomb. The first is with Martha, and it's very different than his exchange with Mary. With Martha, there's dialogue. We read about There's kind of this matter-of-factness. Hey, uh, your brother is going to rise again. Martha goes, well, I I believe that. I believe that he's going to rise again at the last day. When we have hope that God is going to raise the living and the dead and give eternal life. He says, I'm not, I'm not talking about the last day because the last day is the last day called Resurrection Day because of who I am. I'm the resurrection and the life. It's not about a day. It's about me. 
And if you believe in me, though you die, you will live. He's talking about his power as the son of God to conquer death, to reverse death, to bring someone who's flatlined dead back to life. You seen that on television? And he's like, this is big time claim here. He didn't promise it to everyone though, right? He says to those who what? Believe. Believe. I don't know if you caught that Martha and Mary have the same immediate response, the if only. Did you catch it? Have you ever said the if onlys around somebody's death? Oh, if only. Man, if only I'd just gone. If only I had said this. If only I had done this. If only I just heeded the prompting of the Spirit when I thought I should do that. If only. If onlys express disappointments with ourselves, but if we're honest, they, they begin to point to disappointments we have with God. Like, Jesus, we called you four picking days ago. If you'd have come when we called, he, we wouldn't be walking to the tomb. We'd be taking a walk, the four of us, through the olive groves. And for some, the if-onlys verbalize their serious doubt that God even exists. If he did, why would he lie all the pain, the suffering? Why death? But John is making it clear as he describes and records this account that Jesus knew exactly what was happening. His timing had a purpose then as it does today. So it was last August when I laid out the preaching plan for the storyline. And on this date, there was John chapter 11. And this whole week, in God's sweet providence, I have been studying about Jesus' power over death as my dad is dying. That's just like, guys, he's in the details. Like, you can't believe he's in the details. The, the scriptures say he is holding this whole universe in its place, every molecule. According to the power of his word, he is in the details. This is not some kind of crazy, out-of-control thing. It feels like it for Martha and Mary. It totally feels like it when we're in these situations. John is making it clear. Jesus knows what's happening. He knows what's about to happen. He knows why it's happening. His timing has a purpose, and his delay is for something greater. And we got to get a hold of delays. We're not a people who are accustomed to delay. We are accustomed to praying to God, and we get the answer. It's a yes, it's a no. And we got to remember, there's also a not yet. And the not yets usually play out over a long time. And this is like a really important piece of Scripture that comes to us to encourage us when, when we get to one of those things. of We're in the not yet yet. He hasn't answered to know in this gap, I'm going to put in faith in a good God who is in control that says the not yet is to do something greater. 
a greater thing in the life of Lazarus, a greater thing for Martha and Mary, a greater joy, a greater faith in who I am, and greater glory to the Father. Oh, that we would believe that as we find ourselves in those gaps of like, what's, what's happening? And that's the fight of faith when things don't make sense. When you can't see even a glisten of good that could come out of it. That we would put into that faith in a good God who loves us, who's powerful, who's in control. And so our perspective here on earth is like doing life, especially the hard things of life, and all that we can see is the backside of a cross stitch. Have you ever turned it over and seen what it looks like? Isn't that beautiful? It doesn't hold together. There's no design, right? It doesn't make sense. What is it? It is a tangle of thread and knots. But by faith, we can see it from the other side, from God's perception. We can't see it. But faith is the conviction of things not seen, right? Of things that we hope for, things that we can't see, where we believe it. Not because of what we have, not because of who we are, because we are growing in who he is and what he does. He always brings good out of the heart. And all we have to do is keep going back to the cross to get it straight. So Martha, she's been beat up over the years. Busy Martha. Scurrying around in the kitchen in that other story, right? When Jesus is having lunch, dinner with them. And she gets kind of ticked going, come on, Lord. I'm here working my tail off to get this nice spread. And Mary, she's just loafing at your feet. And would you just get her in the kitchen so we can all eat and I can enjoy it too? And so she kind of gets beat up by being this busy person that's too busy for Jesus and, and not choosing the better thing. But I just want to say to all of us Marthas, Martha is this great woman who answers the key question of the text. Do you believe this? She doesn't. She doesn't hesitate. Yes. What does she believe? I believe that you are the Messiah, that you are the promised Savior that the Old Testament scriptures have all been pointing to. I believe you are a promised hope. I believe you're the coming king. I believe you are my Savior. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that you were sent into this world to save us. I believe. This is this huge declaration of faith, and we honor Martha and appease her own guilt for being like her. That was funny. <laughs> so Jesus' response to Mary, though, is really different. You know, it's just kind of this matter-of-fact thing with, with Martha. Okay, he's going to rise. Well, I know he's going to rise. He's going to rise at the resurrection day at the end of the day, the end of the age. This is this con conversation going. It's kind of just statement of facts. And, bah, 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 bum, 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 bum. and then you get to Mary, and, like, there's no conversation. She comes down the hill. She sees Jesus. She falls at his feet. She's a blubbering mess, and she gets her if only out there, and there's no conversation. All we know is he wept. Note to self. When we meet people 
who are just overwhelmed with grief, maybe it's just okay to not have to say anything. And you know how hard it is that we try and say the right thing? And how hard it is when we're trying to not just say the right thing, but not say the wrong thing? And we just get so consumed with this verbal exchange? I remember so well. I was a teenager. My neighbor across the street, Teresa Ward, took her life. I'm going to my job at a grocery store, and I was told, you can go to the visitation before it officially opens. The family will be there before you have to go to, to work. And so I've never been to one of these things before. And I walk into the funeral home, and all that's there is Teresa in her coffin and her family and Mrs. Ward, sweet Mrs. Ward. She takes me, puts her arm around me. We walk up to the coffin, and I'm like freaking out, going, I don't know what to say. And you know, Jesus, who is the word of God, he didn't say. He didn't say. What does it say in verse 33? He what? It's the shortest verse in the whole Bible. He wept. He just, he just entered in. You, you don't have to say anything. You, you be there. You enter into it. And you weep with them. Jesus mourns with Martha and Mary who are mourning. And we love that about Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's the word of God that became flesh and lived among us. He is God who wrapped himself in skin. Fully God, fully man. And when he took on our skin our likeness. He became what Isaiah said he would be, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And so he wept because when we love much, we hurt much, and he wept. But it didn't just say he wept. It said his heart was deeply moved and troubled. There was an agitation of his soul. It's interesting to read the scholars on this. Here's what I think. I think there's a, there's a multiple uh, options, not even options, of things that could be troubling his own heart. Death is the final enemy, the scriptures say. It's not just that door from this world to the next. It is our enemy, the last enemy. And it brings all kinds of sorrow and grief and pain to those who know and love this one who is, who is dying, who has died. And so he's troubled over that, over the death and the grief. He's, he's troubled over, very likely, his imminent death on the cross to end death for all time. And I think it's clear in the text that he's troubled that in the midst of all this, as he declares that he is the resurrection and life, there are people who will not believe it, even though they see Raz, uh, Lazarus resurrected from the grave. And we get a hint of the unbelief in verse 37. Did you see it? Some said, well, man, he's like healed all these people. He's healed the blind and he's healed the lame. And why couldn't he help this guy get over his illness? What's wrong with them? See, right there going on. He's troubled. We come to the third movement, Jesus' power, verse 38. Read along with me. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. He was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there four days. 
Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, he's praying, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So Jesus says, roll back the stone. Let me show you what one of these tombs could have looked like. This is one further up north in Galilee, but it's just what they look like. So they, they dig out, they chip away, and they create this tomb. And then they've got this round stone that sits in like this gutter, and you can roll it back and roll it in. Very likely in these kinds of tombs, there were multiple benches in there for multiple bodies of the family. Roll back the stone. And then Jesus prays. And he says, I, I know you've answered my prayer, but I'm just going to say it out loud so everybody will what? Believe. It keeps coming back. Do we, do we hear that in John? It just keeps coming back. So they believe. So they believe. So they believe that you sent me. And then with three ordinary words, because of who Jesus is, the word of God who brought everything into existence out of nothing because it's him who's uttering the words. Because you and I can say it all day long over our loved ones too. We can say it. But because of who Jesus is, and this is what's going on, he's already claimed it so that you would believe it. I'm going to show you that I can do and that I am who I said I am and what I can do. He says, Lazarus, Come out. And these ordinary words, as they're accompanied by the power of the Son of God, raised a dead man back to life. And I can only imagine, and you can only imagine, what in the world would have been like to see Martha and Mary's knees buckle as this mummy-like guy stoops through the entrance into the daylight, the gasps, the screams, the shrieks, this, this joy but fear and like, what's going on here? All pointing to Jesus is no ordinary guy. Wow. So we're not surprised in verse 45 when we read this, right? Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. We go, duh. Well, that's a no-brainer. I don't believe that was an easy one. It didn't say all, though, did it? That's just good to remember. It said many. Because there are others who saw in verse 46 who booked it back to Jerusalem to talk to the religious leaders to say what happened. And then the text goes on to say, man, we got a problem on our hands. If this gets out, this guy keeps gaining more popularity, we're going to be completely out of power, and everybody's going to be believing him, and we have got to take him out. And so it says in verse 53, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. So you got some who believe, they saw. Others who did not believe, who saw 
And as they told others who had authority to take him out, they didn't just not believe it. They said, we're going to take him out. We're going to kill him. Wow. So let's wrap it up. We began with an actor, a couple actresses. Let's end with Richard Dreyfus, who says he has a keen sense of his mortality. He's an agnostic. He's not sure there is a God. He's not sure there isn't a God. But he believes in at least in the possibility of reincarnation. He said, I quote, Isn't it funny that God takes you and puts you through the unendurable, and then at the moment you've just begun to understand it and have some wisdom, it ends, speaking of our life. I have this inner life. Listen to how he explains it. I have this inner life, which is vast and as large as the universe. I really like me. I hope I have another life. I hope I get another shot. And when we read that, if we remember Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 that we studied earlier this summer, something's buzzing in our ear. God has placed eternity in the human heart. And he's just acknowledged that. There's something in me that's as big as the universe. I like me. I, I hope I get another shot. And so Jesus' question to Martha is our question today. Do you believe this? You say, well, well what? Well, the text says, do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? That he has power not only to create life, but to resurrect life. And we can have this hope of resurrection life today through faith in the Son of God. So Jesus said to Nicodemus in chapter 3, you can get this, this new life today. You can be born again today. It's born of the Spirit. Resurrection life that Jesus offered is in him. Your faith is in him. You get resurrection life today, and you get it in its fullness forever. Do you believe this? And John reminds us that the reason he put chapter 11 and Lazarus in the text is for what reason? John 20, 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised Old Testament Savior, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why he wrote chapter 11. He didn't write it to you, but it's for you. That in hearing this story, about Lazarus that was attested by lots of people, including Lazarus, that had such a visceral effect that people didn't just believe it or not believe it. Those who heard it said, we got to kill him. You got to wrestle with that. And these things were written, John says, so that you would believe that Jesus is the promised Savior, who he said he is, the resurrection and life, and that in believing in this one who is the resurrection and life, that you would get life today that's different than the life you have without him. Do you believe? Let me tell you that faith in Jesus Christ has made a huge difference in my father's life. And he has a deep, settled peace. And it, it dawned on me last night as, as I was just, it's just kind of this surreal thing going on. So, my dad's been falling a lot, and we haven't been there all the time, and so my sister put in a camera just so we could check on him in a couple of the rooms in the house, kind of like a nanny cam or whatever. And so now the, the camera's on, on, the, on the family room, and his hospital bed's in there now, and I, I'm watching it, and my sister's caring for him. 
This is kind of very surreal, what's, what's going on here. But what dawned on me is that my dad's peace, as he faces death, which isn't this kind of fairy, it's, it's, it's based on Jesus Christ and his power over death and his power to resurrect himself. That's the end of the story. That that peace actually is this huge gift that he's giving his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren. Do you believe this? Do you have this peace? Some of us go, I just can't get over the miracles thing. I, you know, I, I just got to see it. I got to quantify it. I got to put it in a test tube. I got to run the data. I got to see it. And all I can say is, it's not that simple. Because there are a bunch of left-brained people just like you that were there, and they saw it, and they could go up and touch him. And when they got near the man, let me tell you what, he still smelled like death because it was in that cloth. It was all wrapped around his once dead body. They had all of it that you long for. It's a, if I had that, I'd believe. It's, seeing is not believing. Faith is a gift of God. And you are trusting in something right now. And I would say what Tim Keller so eloquently says to his friends that are skeptics, don't you want to believe this? Don't you want it to be true? That the God who made us and loves us and saw the mess that we've made wants to come and make it right again? That, that he has the power to bring life and hope to things that are dead and flatlined, just destroyed. Don't you want to believe that there's something more? Don't you want to believe in the resurrection? Don't you want to believe in a place where everything is right? No more tears, no more death, no more sickness. No more. Don't you long for that? And if he is who he said he is, isn't it a possibility if Jesus is really God that he can pull that off? And so wherever you're at, you're a skeptic. You're a longtime believer. You're someone maybe who's lost your way. John wrote this not so week ago. Man, I can really relate to Martha. Oh, man, I can really relate to Mary. Or, you know, I'm kind of like those people on the fence. This was written so that we'd understand who Jesus is. This compassionate friend. This man who's in control. This man who has power. This man who has compassion. This man who shed tears were pointing ahead to when he would shed his blood to end all suffering. Here's the end of the story, Revelation 21. This is like the second to last chapter of the Bible. It says this, verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne and said, I'm making everything new. What a bummer that Lazarus had to die again. He did. Jesus is offering us resurrection life where when he's done with us, we'll never die again. And all things will be new. All things will be right. And it starts with the junk in our own hearts that's twisted. We'll be like Jesus in his perfect humanity. He's made for this. It's in our hearts. Do you believe this? Let's pray.
Lord, your word says that your gaze, your eyes are on those who trust you, on those whose hope is fixed on your unfailing love to deliver us from death and to keep us alive even in famine. And so we wait and we hope for you, Lord. You are our help and you are our shield. And you are the one who gives us confidence to say, as David said, not even understanding that he was talking about you. That even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for you are with us. And you will bring us through it, through your strength and through your power. And we can have confidence to know that we will live in your house, in your presence forever. Grant faith, strengthen faith. Comfort those who mourn. Comfort those in the in-between time, wondering why you haven't worked. Remind them again of the greater good. We pray these things in Christ's name for your glory. Amen.